This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast, a podcast where we talk to brewery owners and ask questions about owning a brewery so that future brewery owners can learn a thing or two. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, you might as well do it now. This is episode 65, and in this episode, I sit down with Juan O'Norton of Nightlife Brewing Company in Miami, Florida. Juan tells me how we wound up being in the same complex as the Marlins Stadium, how investors' relations is something no one really talks about but is one of the most important things to understand when opening a business, and how taking a break for him comes in the form of going to the shooting range or playing chess on his phone. But he believes clearing his head for an hour a day is very important. I agree with Juan. I clear my head way more than that in a day, and it's easy, because my head's empty. You've heard the other episodes. You know it. It's not that hard to see, or hear for that matter. Well, now it's time to clear your head and fill it up with some knowledge that Juan is about to drop about owning a brewery, because it's good. So sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy the podcast, you airheads. Juan O'Norton was born and raised in Miami, Florida, and lived there most of his life, until he joined the Army, and then he would call Alaska his home for the next five years. During that time, he would serve tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. He was back in Anchorage when he decided to order up an arrogant bastard ale from Stone Brewing. That's when Juan fell in love with craft beer. His platoon would make frequent trips to the Moose's Tooth often to visit microbreweries and try their beers. After he got out of the army, he would head back home to Miami and attend the University of Miami. One day he was drinking craft beer at a local bar and he asked his friend Will, why can't we make something like this? Will replied, show up at my place tomorrow at 12. Juan was hesitant at first, but decided to show up, and when he did, he would find out that Will had everything he would need to make a home-brewed beer. Since leaving the army, Juan was looking for a sense of purpose and didn't know exactly where to find it. Once he finished brewing his first beer that day, he knew exactly what he'd been missing in his life. For Juan, it became therapeutic to homebrew beer, and from that moment on, he continued to brew as an escape from the stresses of his life. Little by little, friends would ask Juan to supply beer for their parties, and that's when he started to realize that his beers were good enough to start up his own brewery. He wrote up a business plan, went in search of funding in the perfect spot, and when the time was right, he opened the doors to the public in August of 2017 as Nightlife Brewing Company. And Juan is here with me today. Juan, how's it going, man? You know, loving life, living the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, that's right. So um, the whole process of when you finally thought up Nightlife Brewing, to the moment you finally opened the doors, what would you say was the most challenging part for you? Uh, there's, there's a laundry list of things that <laughs> any brewery owner will be able to tell you. It was really finding the cash to do it. Right. It is very difficult to be able to convince people or investors or even traditional institutions like banks to fund a project in which they know nothing about. And in Miami, the brew scene is very, very young. You know, we, we've got some great breweries out here. However, we are not Denver. We are not New York. We're not Chicago. We're not L.A. We're in none of these places where the brew scene is has been long established, where the culinary scene does push the boundaries. You know, Miami is, is very young in that respect. You know, we like to think that we're avant-garde. We like to go ahead and push boundaries and everything. Miami likes what it likes. <laughs> That's why you see most restaurants with, you know, their rice and beans and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. But... Miami takes a while to really adapt to whatever else uh, the U.S. is doing. And, and in large part, it's because of the large Latin American influence that we have. 
So artisanal beer or craft beer is a relatively new concept here in Miami. Now, granted, you know, we've had it for the past 10 years and stuff like that, but breweries themselves are very young. So investors don't know a whole lot about it. Banks know nothing about it. In order to get the cash to be able to start up your brewery, I had to really pitch hard, know my stuff, the ins and outs of the industry, know what happened during you know acquisitions and, and everything else. I mean, when I was looking for investments, I spent a good year going through at least 22 different versions of a business plan, like writing it up, sending it out or sending it to people, having it edited, going back to the drawing board, changing it out. At the same time, looking at what was happening in you know, public acquisitions. So anytime, you know, someone was bought out or the mergers between Bows Point and Constellation or the buyout of Bows Point by Constellation and also the merger between Heineken and like Juanita's, yeah. um, yeah. any of the, any of the buyouts from Goose Island on down, you know, uh, I had to understand where they were coming from with the numbers, why the numbers meant so much, what was the per barrel average of buyouts. So that way, when I spoke to these guys who had money to convince them to go into it, they understood that I knew the business. Now, what was more important was that they bought into the vision of what nightlife was. And when you're pitching people, you have to remember that they're really buying into you. So not only do you have to be an expert in your field in terms of uh, the finances, what is it you plan on doing, you have to have a very well uh, thought out um, and executable business plan. You have to have the passion, the vision, and the salesmanship to convince people to join onto your vision and why you're different, why they should invest in you. So that's pretty much the hardest pitch and, and or the, the hardest thing about it. And one of the more difficult aspects of it is to understand that no traditional lender, such as a bank or venture fund, they're not interested in actually funding a startup brewery because they don't see the, the upside to it. Banks are the last people to, that will jump on and give you a loan to help you with your business. Yeah. Um, you know, even the SBA at that point in time, they had a, a very friendly veterans program. They were very hesitant to come on board uh, at the initial stage. I mean, once I opened my doors, then like, oh yeah, cool, you're an operating business now. We can do this. You know, like, it's like yeah, well, right. thank you of course. for that. <laughs> I needed you like I needed you like six months ago, a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> I, thank you for that. Now they see, um, now they see the vision. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, the first check is always going to be the hardest, but if you can stick it out and actually get that first check, then the rest will come. It's one of those things where until you go through it, you don't fully understand how hard it is. And, you know, venture funds, I went through 14 of them pitching and stuff like that. The reality is unless they get something that can go ahead and provide I don't know, like a multiple of 50 on an exit event, you know, or a hundred X or whatever else like that. They're not going to be interested, right? They're all into like the tech uh, sphere, anything to do with healthcare, you know, in a brewery, a brick and mortar brewery, especially now that the field has gotten so competitive is not as enticing to them as, as, you know, something else that has low capital investment, um, low barriers to market entry, uh, like a tech firm does, or you know anything else that they can choose from. Uh, it's very, it's very hard to convince them to come on board. So for anybody that's looking to do this, just realize you know you're going to have to rely a lot on friends and family. You have to build a network, and really you need to just not not just be a numbers expert in terms of what's happening in the industry 
uh, on a macro level, but also on a local level. And you need to be super passionate about what it is you're doing. You need to be very well-rounded when you're pitching. Understood. Yeah. Now, when you finally found your spot, which is in the same complex as the Marlins Stadium, how did you go about finding that spot? How did you how did you basically wind up ending up there? Here's how that happened. So while I was pitching uh, people, and look, I have, I have a wonderful group of investors that believe in, in nightlife and believe in the vision, which ultimately that's what you want. They were very supportive. They were helping me out look for places to go ahead and actually put this brewery. When you're, when you're looking for a place to put a brewery, you kind of – you want almost as empty a shell as possible, so that way you can design it. You can put in the floors you want. You can, right. Like if, if you are fortunate enough to do that, you can go ahead and just build it from the ground up, almost right, except for the main structure which is there. So I went around looking, you know, in Miami, and every place that we went to, no one was interested in putting in, you know, tenant improvement dollars. Which, listen, that can make or break you. You really have to be careful with that. You have to work out a really good deal, structured deal with your landlord. And if they're not going to give you tenant improvement dollars, then you need to look at, okay, cool, cool. So how about you give me a year's worth of free rent or six months of free rent or whatever it is it's going to cost once I get my building permit. So that way I can do the tenant improvement and on top of that, go ahead and recover the money that I'm going to spend that, you know, you're not willing to help me put in or structure a deal where over time you phase in the full rents or whatever the case may be. You need to be able to find a landlord that that's flexible enough with it. Now, granted, I'm I'm sure it's going to be tough now, especially after businesses have been shut down for a while and, you know, landlords are struggling to make money as well. However, at the end, you need to convince them that it's good for the area, that's going to be good for the property because you have people coming into your tap room. You're going to be showcasing the, the rest of the area. If the landlord owns the entire building or the entire block, you know, that could bring more business. You know, there are different ways you can pitch it. While I was going around and I was being introduced to these guys, you know, um, most landlords don't have that kind of patience or imagination or whatever else the case may be. I was sitting in my father's law office and one of his buddies comes in and goes, hey, you're still looking for a space, right? I said, yeah. He goes, cool. Do you know Modern Stadium? I was like, yes. All right, be there tomorrow at 9 a.m. Now I kind of <laughs> raised my eyebrows and I was like, sure, I'll, I'll be there. And I showed up. I called him. I was like, dude, where are you? He goes, no, no, you're not meeting with me. You're meeting with the leasing agent for the city. Wow. And sure enough, there he was. <laughs> and Jeremy Larkin, uh, you know, for uh, he, he works for NAI Miami. Um, and they're the, the head leasing agent for the city at the time, or I think they still are. He, he takes me to the parking garage, and he's like, so would this work for you? And he opens the doors, and there's nothing but dirt, mold, everything else. Right. Um, there are four walls and a roof, and that's pretty much it. And I walk, I step in, and I'm like, yes, this is it. This is home. This is the canvas, only- this is the canvas for my painting, yes. <laughs> yes, this is it. This is, this is happening. Right. Um, and so I think by the end of the week, I signed the LOI and NAI and the city of Miami have been great to us. They've really worked with us. Again, you want to find a landlord that's willing to be a partner with you, you know? So I'm very fortunate in that aspect. They do act like this is a true partnership. And it's not just me by myself, you know, like they, they do help us out. When everything was said and done, you know, we had to go in and put in the slab. We had to put in the walls. We had to put in everything. It was a very intense build out 
in a very big ordeal, which I learned a lot from. It, it was awesome. Part of the reason why I wanted to go into where I went into, which is the home plate parking garage of Martin Stadium, is because that is the historical site of the Orange Bowl. And I remember going to games there, you know, and nightlife is really all about making sure that you, you have a very, very good experience with your friends and that you make awesome memories. And there's no better place other than the historical site of the Orange Bowl and right next to Martin Stadium, or sorry, Lone Depot Park now. Jesus Christ. Lone Depot. Um, <laughs> Speaking of, what, where was that loan when you needed it? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so is that where Nightlife Brewing, the name came from? So Nightlife Brewing came actually from um, years before, where basically it was, my concept behind it was always about how do friends interact and how do uh, people create memories that, that lasts with them for a lifetime. You know, when I was drinking that beer at Cervezas with Will, I thought to myself, man, like, no other spirit or no other alcohol that I can think of outside of beer actually forms such a deep social connection between people. Because if you think about it, like, the first drink you're really going to have is going to be your dad's beer. Right. You know, if you go, you know, <laughs> he's sitting on the couch and he hands you, like, a Killian's Outer Shred, like it was in my case, you know, you're going to remember that. When you go to college you can't really afford pretty much anything else other than like either Keystone or Natty Light, which, you know, listen, yeah. there's no such thing as a bad beer in my opinion. It's just, you know, there's beers, there's a beer for every occasion and for every uh, place and time in your life. Keystone, Natty, that's, that's where that belongs. Right. Um, I looked around and I realized that, man, beer is a huge, important cornerstone in what we do at night. And it is, arguably the thing that the foundation in which we build most of our friendships around, you know, um, granted, as you get older, you, you'll start venturing out to other spirits, but beer is always going to be there. It's always a stable uh, product that you're going to go to. Yeah. And if you look around, most people will start drinking a beer at the, at the beginning of the night and then they'll transition maybe later on as the night closes out or they'll transition into beer just so that way they can slow down the night. But it's always around. It's never as if it was a whiskey where you kind of have to be in the mood for a whiskey or depending on the weather, you'll have a gin and tonic or whatever else or a white wine. You know, like right. beer is always accessible. It's always friendly. It's always there. So nightlife really comes from that. It comes from my belief that beer is the cornerstone to making memories with your friends. And whenever it is you go out, it's always there. Gotcha. I love it. I feel I feel the same way. It's like, hey man, you know, somebody opens their fridge, want a beer? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's like it's gonna most of the time it's gonna be in there. But yeah, what was that? I mean, to backtrack a little bit, but what was that aha moment for you when the wheels started being put in motion? Where it was like opening a brewery, it's happening. What was yeah. that? What was that exact moment for you? So it was at University of Miami. It's all about the U. You're yeah, saying, right. You know. <laughs> Look, so I was, I was at University of Miami, and I was uh, coming up on graduation. And I was graduating uh, with my bachelor's in psychology and stuff like that. I was faced with a decision. I could either pursue a PhD with psychology, or I could try and start something with something I was very passionate about, like start a business with something I was passionate about. So I decided on the latter. It was a culmination of events. It wasn't just like the one singular aha moment. By that point, I had been brewing for two years, and I've been brewing a lot, <laughs> as most home brewers will. Uh, right. We always start off, and uh, you know, our beers, our beers are inspirational, but 
they kind of lack a certain quality, a drinkable quality. Okay. <laughs> well, been there, you know, been there before. <laughs> you know, that or like exploding bottles, you know, like, oh yeah. Huh. Also been there before. Don't know how I didn't lose my eyesight, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you, you go through all these trials and tribulations and eventually start producing better batches that are more drinkable that people end up enjoying a lot. I had finally reached that point where I had brewed a ton. I had dumped a ton. Uh, I had perfected certain recipes and I witnessed that my friends were starting to come over more and more often and asking for specific beers. Uh, they were actually starting to ask me to provide beer for their parties. Wow. Uh, awesome. And by the time I had reached graduation, I was like, okay, so this is actually a thing I can do. Okay, so let me go ahead and, and, and do this. This is what I want to do. And, you know, I took something that brought a lot of, I'm sure you've heard this before. I, you know, I, I took something that was beautiful and peaceful and brought peace in my life. And I decided to make a business out of it, which then introduced nothing but stress. Yeah. And it was great. <laughs> How, how can we introduce a little bit of chaos? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of chaos. Yeah, yeah. Do a startup. Start up a brewery. You'll find out all the chaos you want. Yeah. Speaking of that, what's something that you never thought you were going to have to deal with? Speaking of chaos, uh, I'm going to I'm going to impart two things, and I have huge trouble with this even to this day. Once you decide to start a business, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what business it is. It doesn't matter if it's a brewery. It doesn't matter if it's a tech fund or whatever else it is. Okay. But once you decide to step onto that road and you get investors, you have a secondary job, which is arguably the most important job, which is investor relation. Okay. Okay. You need to be able to communicate effectively, clearly, and consistently with your investors. Now, I, because of the nature of my business and the way I started it up, I was running so lean that I was spread out too thin and like everybody, I've made mistakes and, and I've learned from them, right? You, you you have to learn from your mistakes. If you're not willing to adapt, you're going to die. Food for thought. You have to go ahead and be able to, to talk to them and ease them because look, investors, once they buy into you, they're not buying the product. They're, they're, they're buying into you. You need to go ahead and convince them as to what's happening. You need to show them what's happening. You need to be able to articulate the downfalls and the pitfalls that you're having and put a positive spin on it and show them that you're growing and that you're willing to go ahead and listen to their advice and make changes that are necessary to the business to make sure that you grow. It is a, it is a very difficult thing. And it's something that no one, no one ever talked about, you know, in the business classes that I went to at, you know, University of Miami that I took, no one talked about this. And it's not something that you even realize is a thing until you actually open up your business. And it's so important. It, it really, really is. It's important because in order to go ahead and grow, so most times you're going to need to go back to that same investor core and ask them to put in more money. And they're going to want to know why. Right. You know, and if, yeah. you, and if you don't do a good job of cultivating good relationships with them, it's going to be very, very hard. It is a second job that you never thought about, that you no one tells you about, that no one goes out and coaches you for, but it is important that you realize that it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay? No one is just going to give you X number of thousands of dollars, walk away, and never ask you a question about it. Of course not. I mean, I'm, I'm like, not even your dad. You know, like, yeah, yeah, like right. it's just not going to Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Right? Um, yes. So you really have to pay attention to that. The second thing, is that once you turn that business light on, you are a salesman. Plain and simple. Everything that you do, every time you talk, every time you go out, you are selling not just yourself as the brand ambassador, but you are selling your product. 
and you have to be good at talking. Right. You have to be willing to sit there and have a conversation with people that you don't know or that you may otherwise not want to engage with. But unfortunately, once you start up a business, especially one that depends so heavily on distribution, that depends heavily on other people wanting to go ahead and buy your products, you must always be thinking sales first. Whether or not you realize it, you're always selling. Right. Those two things, I truly believe, are never really spoken about a whole lot, especially in business schools. Yes, you go through the numbers, you go through accounting, you go through marketing, you go through any number of different courses, but they never really touch upon investor relations, how important it is to keep your investors happy. Right. And the fact that once you start up that business, you are that business. Like you, you must sell yourself and the product. You must always be engaged in sales. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm glad we uh, touched upon it here because I want this to be a learning experience, you know? You know, for all my employees, I tell them, I want to teach you as much as I know about everything about a business. So that way, the day that you decide to leave, which I hope is never, but right. I understand that you're going to grow to a place that, you know, I can't keep. I can't have you keep growing here because you reach your limit here and you must go out and venture forth. I'll be very happy at that. Right. And once you do, I want you to be experts in everything that this brewery has to offer. So I mean, when you go to a different business, you're already set up for success and that you are a leader there. Right. Yeah. We got to let them fly with the experience, you know, that's it. Exactly. It's hugely important that everything you do in terms of a business, in terms of, you know, your company is that one, you never stop learning, but two, you encourage people to learn outside of whatever they were originally hired to do. So that way they get a fully rounded background. At least that's my belief. And you always push them to grow and to, like as an owner, push them to grow beyond whatever capabilities they already have. Yeah. So what's a quality that you possess that makes you a good business owner? My unprecedented good looks and obviously my wit. Well, there you go. All right. Next question. No, No, definitely not that. Uh, Honestly, I think it's my ability to listen to those around me. You as a leader or anybody as a leader, right? You need to be able to not only make a decision under fire, um, you need to stick to it and follow through. However, before that decision is made, listening to those around you about the ideas that you may have pitched or about their own ideas that may go against what you originally wanted is hugely important. Not only does this build a sense of teamwork, but you never know where a good idea is going to come from. You never know if that uh, the Southerman was sitting on a beer name that just kills it. Right. You never know if the bartender has been listening to consumers all day, you know, or for months at this point, talking about what beer styles they may want to see come up. And they always hear the same one. And all of a sudden, what, they just come back there and tell you, hey, why don't you make this? You know, if you are resistant as a leader in a brewery or any business to outside ideas, you're going to die. You need to be willing to listen to those around you, those who work for you, uh, your investor, everybody, and just open yourself up. Now, ultimately, once you make a decision, you stick with that. You are the leader. You are the owner. You you know, you know must go ahead and follow through with the decision you make. But up until that point, you have to be willing to listen to, to other people. Right. You know, I'm very fond of saying, of telling people who come in and drinking the beer, if there's anything that you perceive to be wrong with the beer, 
you're not going to hurt my feelings if you tell me. All you're doing is making me a better brewer. Gotcha. Yeah. And I believe I told you that. Yeah, you did. Um, you know, and it's true. Anytime anybody goes ahead and tries our products, you may have an opinion on it. Cool. Sure. If you just tell me that, oh, shit, brew sucks, man. Okay, well, why does it suck? Right. If you can't answer that, then, what? okay, then maybe you should reevaluate the way you deliver criticism. Maybe, just maybe, you know? <laughs> like, you must right. have reasons for it. A little constructive, um, little constructive criticism here. I'm looking for a little bit more detail than it just sucks, you know? Right. If, if you tell me, well, dude, it's off, it tastes, you know, like, um, it tastes like band-aids or it tastes like cardboard. Okay, you know what? That, that's a serious problem. Right. Let's yeah. go ahead and fix that. <laughs> and, and this goes across for any industry. You know, you have to be willing and open to discuss ideas and and to listen. And if you don't, again, if you don't, you're doing yourself not only to service, but you are going to start leading to the potential death of your company. It just is what it is, man. You got to listen. Yeah, got to have an open mind in this uh, in the industry, for sure. I mean, I feel I feel like any business as well, but yeah, definitely. I think you know everything, and it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's definitely not. So. You've come across, I'm sure, plenty of people now in the beer industry. You opened on, was it September 17th? That's right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you've been around a good good amount of time. On top of that, you brewed even before that. So I'm sure you've come across many different brewers and just people that work in the beer industry. Who do you think's inspired you the most so far? Oh, man. Um, one of my biggest heroes in the industry is uh, is Garrett Oliver. I mean, I've only met the man once. Right. Uh, and that was at um, the Great American Beer Festival. And I went up to him, and I'll never forget this, like his look on his face when I said this, like, thank you, Mr. Oliver, but, you know, you've inspired me to become a brewer. Like, your beers have, are amazing. And he looks at me and he goes, I inspired you to what? And he's like, you inspired me to become a brewer and to open up a brewery. And you could see it in his face like, oh, man. Whoops. <laughs> You know, it was really cool to meet him. Um, I mean, the guy's an icon in the industry. But more specifically, stylistically, who has really influenced me, um, it's going to be Bill I. from Bierstadt Lagerhouse. Now, this place, if you've never been, this is my favorite brewery in America right now. They're, they have this slow pour pills, which is absolutely divine. Right. Um, it, it takes you five minutes to order, so you must be patient. However, it is worth the wait, in my opinion. Why does it take so I long to order? <laughs> Just out of curiosity. Because of the way that they pour it. So, gotcha. Um, okay. They have these really cool faucets. They're not like the beer faucets that you see usually at restaurants or anything else like that. These are like uh, traditional faucets. And they make sure that when they pour this pills, that you get the correct amount of head. It is, and the head is cream. Like it's, it's like it looks like whipped cream. It doesn't even look real, but it is a hundred percent real. It is amazing. Like it's, it is my favorite beer. Awesome. And it's clean. Um, it's traditional. It is. It's just delicious. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's a great, great first sip. It sounds uh, sounds delicious, man. It's awesome. How do you go about defining success? And was there a moment that kind of sticks out for you that made you realize things were going in the right direction? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like everybody has different metrics for success. You know, right. And yeah, depending sure. on what it is you're talking about for the business can be the, the P&L statement, you're, you're profitable, everything else, you know, mm-hmm. yay, cool. That's one metric for success. Right. But and for me, because I am all about the quality of the products and because 
because I'm about the experience. It's really about watching consumers interact with products amongst their group of friends, right? A couple of years ago, before the pandemic, I was sitting at Whisk, which is this local restaurant here in Miami, Florida. Uh, we had just released our cans, our gunfighter cans. I watched a group of friends. There were four of them. One person started off with gunfighter and started drinking it. The girl in front of him reached over, asked to take a sip, liked it, ordered it. And then before you knew it, everybody else was going ahead and ordering it. Right. They had, I think, three rounds. But the entire time, they were laughing. They were having a good time. They became more ruckus. Like, <laughs> it, 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 I got to see people enjoying their night without knowing that I was there. Like, they don't know who I am. But enjoying the product, and the product was doing what it was intended to do, which is help people have a better night, help people make better memories. And that, to me, that was that's success. Right. If, if a person can enjoy their friends more, if a person can enjoy their night more, and our product can be, can be a part of it and actually help with that, that's, that is all the success I want. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I think as an owner, there's no better moment than to watch someone who you have no direct connection with enjoy your products to the point where you know that they're going to remember that night. Right. The mission I set out to do, I'm starting to complete. I'm starting to have an actual impact. I'm starting to make inroads on that. Right. That vision you had, now you start finally starting to see it, which is which is an awesome yeah. feeling, I'm sure. And uh, like I said, you've been open since uh, September of 2017. Dealt with many things, including Irma. Yeah, Irma. Um, the beginning in the beginning, Irma knocked out power, causing temperatures to rise on on your beers. Almost lost, you know, a lot of stressful, a lot of stressful stuff. Um, oh, it was great, man. Yeah. Listen, as, as a brewery owner. Not only do I have to contend with hurricanes and potential flooding and stuff like that, uh, especially because of where we are in relation to the, the Miami River, look, you're going to find all these little challenges that just come up at the most inopportune times, such right. as I'm at Great American Beer Festival with, uh, you know, all of my managers pretty much. Right. And I'm enjoying a pint at Platinum Park. And I'm in conversation with my buddy Kevin. Uh, and I get a phone call saying, hey, the chiller's down. What do you uh, mean the chiller's down? Uh <laughs> yeah, the chiller is down. Like it just, it's just not turning on. So we have beer in the tanks, right? Yes. Oh God. <laughs> you know. Um, and then I have to stop what I'm doing, which is you know enjoying my you know my time with my friends, and having to call our chiller supplier out of Texas to troubleshoot with you know my employee that's back at the at the brewery, and it's like a three way call, and we're talking about like voltage. Where's the voltmeter? Where's this? We're okay, cool. How can we get a, a replacement part? What do we do with the beer that's inside the tanks right now? There, there's really fun challenges that come out of nowhere right. when you least want them to. Of course. So with that, with all that being said, I'm sure there's a lot of stresses that come with it in the time since you opened. How important is a mental break for you? It's like being able to just walk away from it all and put it all on somebody else and just like shut down for a little bit. And what does that look like? So prior to the pandemic, I would take every Saturday and go out every Saturday morning, starting at eight o'clock in the morning. And I would go shooting for four hours during that day. I would, I run through anywhere from 500 rounds to maybe a thousand rounds on a Saturday. Nice. And I shoot pistol like competitively. Again, I'm not good. But I, I like to do it. It's fun for me. Okay. And uh, that was my de-stressor. And unfortunately, during the pandemic, all the ammo prices just decided to skyrocket to the point where I was like, okay, so I can't afford this anymore. Yeah, right. So, so I had to find something new. 
So I transitioned over to jujitsu. I started playing chess again and stuff like that. But it's, look, as a brewery owner or as an owner of any business, you can't ever truly step away because there are only things, there are, there's, there are certain things that only you have a mental force to, to deal with or fix or you have the power and authority of the company to make certain decisions, right? Only you have that. So you can never truly just pause it. But throughout the day, for instance, I will go ahead and play maybe 30 minutes worth of chess on my phone. And during those 30 minutes, all I'm thinking about is that game. Or at the end of the night when I go to jujitsu and I'm getting, you know, my ass kicked pretty much. And <laughs> or I'm, you know, I'm destroying my friend Chris, which Chris, if you're listening, I'm going to destroy you again. Um, <laughs> you know, during, during those moments, you clear your head of everything else that happened during the day. You have to concentrate on what you're doing. That's why I like shooting so much, right? Because at the end of the day, you need to concentrate on something else. You need to empty your head of all the BS that's happening with work, of, of what's happening with the business, of what's happening in the market in general, what is going on with your gut. Like you have to just empty all that out and concentrate on what you're doing in the moment. Right. And you need to do that at least, at least in my opinion, an hour, an hour a day. Right. Give yourself that as much. Yeah. Yeah. In the last, let's say, four years, what do you think's been the biggest change for you in the brewing industry? Back in the day, and I remember starting off with this, you know, like in, in 2010, when you first started brewing, your beers might be a little hazy. And it was always a struggle and the, and the true fight and the true testament of a good home brewer to be able to make very clear beer that tasted very, very good. There was this expectation in the commercial market that your beer had to be clear and, and see-through, you know. And now, uh, hazy IPAs are pretty much their own thing. And people, if you say hazy, they, they mean opaque. Like, you cannot see through that. Right. And that's the expectation now. So, to me, it's just, you know, that was completely surprising <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, we, we kind of did a 180 on, on a certain style. We went from the clearest beer to the haziest beer. And also, I was very surprised that Miami, a very young market with craft beer, hazy IPAs took off it. Like, they really, really took off. Right. So, that was the biggest surprise to me. And as an owner, you have to adapt and, and go for it. So, here we are. Yeah. Making right. hazies. And uh, what would you say is next for your brewery? What does the future look like for Nightlife? Nightlife is intended to go and grow beyond its tap room and to go out to distribution. You know, it's intended to be had by multiple people and enjoyed by as many people as possible. Ultimately, that's the dream of every brewer, right? right. Or most brewers. The purpose of Nightlife, the reason why Nightlife is named the way it is, the reason why I created it was because I saw the need for better quality products made with you know quality ingredients in the hands of people to provide a quality time. You know, help them enjoy, you know, their friends, their family more. Help build memories. And in order for us to achieve that, in order for us to really make a difference in the market, we need to get out there. We need to distribute. So, you know, my goal for the next two years is just to go ahead and distribute. Just get out there. Right. Really make an impact in the market. You tried our beers. I really focus hard on the the quality of each beer. For um, sure. Yeah. All brewers love what they do and, and they love their own products. You know, what I'm trying to do, 
and what separates me from the other guys is that I'm not trying to put out crazy artisanal beers because our market, Miami as a, as a market, isn't there yet. You know, I, I want to introduce more of our market, which artisanal beer still is a new thing to them, to what craft beer is. You know, so our, our Pilsner, Havana, that is my pursuit of a of the best person I can make, right? I'm constantly trying to make that better and better and better and, and trying to, to make the best possible local pilsner. And I think that's, you know, what is going to attract the most people. And as we introduce them to, to what craft beer can be, as, as we tell people who come in from a baseball game, you know, looking for a Stella or a Heineken, hey, try this instead. And they start drinking that. Then we can start them on their journey of, okay, what is craft beer? Then they're more willing to go ahead and try the crazier stuff, right. you know. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I go back to teaching my own employees or trying to get them to experience the different sides of the brewery. The same goes for our consumers. Craft beer in Miami is is sort of a niche, and the people who truly, truly appreciate craft for what craft is is the niche within the niche. My aim is to get people, more people to come into the niche. And then eventually it's not a niche anymore. It's the actual standard. And that's where Cabana comes into play. That's where Gunfire comes into play. Yeah. Right. Well, I hope you're able to expand as much as possible because you have a great product. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. If somebody else was uh, trying to open a brewery uh, and they came to you for advice, what would you tell them? Um, pretty much everything I've stated already. Every city in this country has some real estate. If you want to go ahead and look for a good place to set up a brewery or, you know, set up a bit of mortar, I would look into city health assets. Try and see if you can work out a deal with the city because they're, they're going to be a, a good landlord for the most part. You know, like you, it depends on city by city. It depends on whatever, you know, like a lot of times the city holds onto these properties that are just empty that no one is really going into. And, Breweries are typically, at least in Miami, they're almost always in a warehouse district. You know, they're, they're separated from local foot traffic and all that jazz. If you can work with the city and you can help redevelop an area, they're more lenient about where you can put your brewery. You know, they'll, they'll more likely go ahead and start helping change some variances, some zoning laws. So that way you can be at a walking distance from a major metropolitan area. Right. You don't have to be hidden in these warehouse districts. Yeah, you, as you see more and more often. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to be willing to go ahead and and search and and try and make deals with people that you normally wouldn't think of making deals with to to really give your your business a leg up. And I think trying to work with cities, trying to work with the local government, and taking maybe you know like a playhouse or that hasn't been used in years, and saying, listen, we can keep the facade. You know, if the historical site isn't one you touch the facade, like, look, we'll keep the facade, but we need to gut the inside so that way we can do this. And this is how much revenue you can make off of it because of, you know, increased foot traffic and all that jazz. You know, you have to be willing to go ahead and do these thought experiments and try and convince these people to, to become your partners. Right. Yeah, it's a great idea. Smart. And uh, did you happen to have a funny story for us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let's go back to homebrewing days, okay? Okay. So, uh, after the Army, you know, I moved back in with my parents because, well, unfortunately, Miami's a little expensive, and I didn't have the cash at the time to go ahead and live on my own. 
I start homebrewing, I decide that it would be a very wise idea to brew a Hefeweizen two days before Thanksgiving dinner. And my family always hosts Thanksgiving dinner. And just to give you an idea of how many people could show up to my house, I believe that particular year we had 120 people show up at my house. So it's a very big family, very big, good time. So I brew this Hefeweizen. It's the precursor to gunfighter. And, you know, I'm working out the, the kinks of the recipe and stuff like that. I'm, I'm changing the proportion of white wheat, whatever. I pitch the yeast. Typically speaking, there is no actual smell. Is, uh, you know, I, I put the, the cardboard inside, you know, the house. This is before I have a refrigerator that's temperature controlled for right. specifically for fermentation and stuff like that. Right. But typically my house, you know, or my parents' house is, uh, is pretty, pretty good about climate control. So nothing ever really gets above, you know, 75, 72 degrees, whatever. Well, two days pass, Thanksgiving comes in, and my sister, she walks into the house, and she goes, what in the hell is that smell? And I'm like, what smell? What, what is this smell you speak of? And please don't tell me. It smells anything like rotten eggs. And she goes, it smells like rotten eggs. What did you do? And I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you haven't said anything to mom yet, right? And she goes, no, but I'm definitely going to. She goes, she tells my mom, and oh my God, the ensuing nightmare that that was. <laughs> I, I'm basically running outside with this car, boy. Like, I'm, I'm running as fast as I can to the, to the backyard. And, and the reason being unbeknownst to me is that she is bringing her uh, then boyfriend, now it's her husband, over to meet the family. And I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> Oh, God, dude, the house, it took hours for that smell to clear the damn house. I'm sure. I'm and sure. I was just sitting, like, I'm sitting there in my, like, my tie, my, you know, my jacket, yeah. and I'm just like, oh, my God, they're going to kill me. I'm, I'm just waiting for at any point in time for, like, someone to throw a knife at me and be like, you're done. Yeah. Why would you do this to us? Yeah, let's let's light a couple candles right about now. <laughs> dude, it was so bad. Yeah, I it can was, imagine. Yeah, it was at that point I made the wise decision to uh, to buy a, a small refrigerator that I could then convert into a temperature-controlled right. fermentation thing yeah. uh, and, and leave that elsewhere uh, outside of the meat house. So that was a very, very rough Thanksgiving for me. But, you know, we made it through. We made it through. It was good. Yeah, good to hear it. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, glad I'm glad you didn't uh, get killed by your parents on that, on that day. Oh, no, no. No, my dad thought it was hilarious. My dad is just egging my mom on. And I'm just like, I hate you. Why would you do this to me? Why are you trying to make my life a living hell, dad? (laughs) That's awesome. So I have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. Five quick questions, beer related. Ready? Yep. Okay. Someone comes into your brewery. What's one of the beers you'd recommend they try? Cabana and Gunbutter. Okay. If you can collaborate with any other brewery on a beer, who would it be? Can I name two? Sure. Bill Farmstead and Russian River. Not bad breweries at all. Favorite style of beer? Pilsner. Pilsner. Barrel-aged, imperial, or both? Why are you making me choose, man? (laughs) So, I assume both? (laughs) Yeah, man, like, no, there's no choice there. There's not a, there you there's go. Not a, oh, awesome. What? It's the same way I think, but some people like it either or. And you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. 
What beer are you choosing? Beer Stop Lager House. Slow four pills. Oh, oh yeah. I, I should have known. I should have known that would be the beer. Well, uh, one, that's all I got for you, man. Thanks, man. It, it was a pleasure being on this. I very much so enjoyed being part of your podcast. It was great. I've listened to some of your episodes. They're really, really good. And thank you. Awesome. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. I, I really do. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast. Here with Juan O'Norton, owner of Nightlight Brewing Company in Miami, Florida. Thanks, man. Oh, thank you, man. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Juan O'Norton of Nightlife Brewing Company in Miami, Florida. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, or you're going to a Miami Marlins game, please stop in and check out his beers because they're absolutely delicious. Also, if you learned anything in this episode and want to pass it on to a friend that you know might be interested in opening a brewery, hey, why not tell them about the podcast because that's what we're here for. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe like I begged you earlier and you'll never miss one. Also, check us out on social media for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.